Welcome to Minority, a podcast discussing different minority experiences in the UK and beyond. As a disclaimer, we may discuss some difficult topics as we are reflecting on our own personal experiences and views. We are always open to learn more, so if you'd like, please send us any resources you may feel would benefit us. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram at Minority Podcast. Hi everybody, welcome back. This week I'm joined with Annette. Hello! (laughs) So where are you from? What's your background? Tell the people. I am ethnically Korean, um, but I was born and raised in Calgary, Canada. I am in my last year of my undergrad at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Um, And I'm doing a major in sociology. We actually met last year when Annette was on exchange because I used to go to the University of Edinburgh Um, and it was really cool for me because I'd never had an East Asian friend before Mm -hmm. who'd grown up in the West because obviously from Canada so it's a bit different right so for me I was like I felt so free having an East Asian friend I was like oh my god you love rice I love rice (laughs) (laughs) You have a rice cooker. Well, you didn't have a rice cooker actually, but you bought a rice cooker. I don't. I don't even know. It was like little things. I didn't even know we're Asian. That I learned we're Asian from you, like the shoes thing. Yeah, taking off shoes in a room is an Asian thing. Yeah, it is an Asian thing. Yeah. I didn't know that before you. Really? Yeah. Oh, I introduced you to subtle Asian traits. I'm still very proud of that. Oh yeah, and. Since then, I've ended up in subtle Asian dating as well. I hope some people that found me on subtle Asian dating are listening to this. If you are, hi. <laughs> One of the reasons that I was so excited to have you on is because I'd never really hung out with East Asians before, but I, so I hadn't really realised how racist they are. So obviously, I was friends with you, and you're not racist at all. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so I was just I wasn't expecting it because I think. You adding me to subtle Asian traits and subtle Asian dating. Mm -hmm. You, in part, made me more Asian and me dating an Asian man made me more Asian. Because before, all my friends were kind of South Asian or or white or black. They were not East Asian. Right. But you're different, right? Most of your friends are Asian. Well, it hasn't actually always been like this. So I grew up in a really... So I was born in Calgary, like I mentioned. But then I grew up in like a really small redneck town. Um, and I was one of two Asians in my entire school. And so growing up like that, it was hard. I wanted to distance myself from my Korean identity as much as possible. So I love rice, like Jamal and I have been talking about in the first four minutes of this podcast. Yeah, um, it was like the first thing you said. Yeah. But I didn't bring rice to school because I had brought it once right when I moved in fourth grade. And some girls were like, ew, what's that smell? Like, that smells disgusting. And I was so offended. And I, like, I remember distinctly just packing away my lunchbox really quietly and just putting it away and not eating. And so- That is such a stereotype that you hear about as well. It is, but it's, it's a reality here. And so after that, I hate, I hate still sandwiches. But I just asked my mom to pack me sandwiches all the time um, just because I didn't want to to already outcast myself um, when I'm already visibly different. And so 
yeah, there were lots of occasions in in that small town where when I was on the phone with my parents, I would like the moment that they would start speaking Korean to me, I wouldn't respond to them in Korean. I would respond to them in English, which isn't what I usually do. Right. Because Mm -hmm. normal if I'm talking to my parents to talk in our mother tongue, which is Korean. And then when I'm talking to like friends or whatever, I talk in English. But at school, um, I saw that almost as like a shameful thing to be different. And so I didn't want to talk to my parents in Korean. I didn't want anything to do with my Korean identity. My parents tried to teach me how to read and write Korean. And I wanted nothing to do with it. And now I regret it deeply. But I don't, you can't really blame yourself as a kid because you do just want to fit in. It's natural. Yeah, it it wasn't even something that I was doing mindfully. It was an implicit thing that I was doing in order to fit in. And for me to fit in, I was supposed to distance myself from my culture, be basically whitewashed. Even to mm-hmm. this day, a lot of Asians look at me and the things that I do, and they're still like, you know, you're pretty whitewashed. And now it used to be something that I was so proud of. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a banana. Like, I might be yellow on the really? outside. Yes. I'm like, I'm yellow on the outside, but trust me, I'm all white on the inside. And then I came to high school where it was reverse culture shock. It was like 99% of the population at my high school was all Asian because I went to a big city. I automatically just started gravitating towards finding other white friends. And then these Asian kids would be like, oh, you know, like, you're the only Asian who hangs out with these white kids. Like, like what's mm-hmm. up with that? It really took me a long time to understand I, my own identity and why I was doing the things that I was doing in terms of rejecting my culture and embracing whiteness just something that you can't blame yourself because you were so young and the media everything around you tells you that white is better yeah for sure exactly Mm -hmm. because I can relate I at least like you can speak Korean I can't speak any other language really Mm -hmm. and that's always made me feel so so whitewashed Mm -hmm. but at school I kind of liked that I was embarrassed I was embarrassed to be Chinese because my school was a boarding school and there were other Chinese kids from but actually from China or from Hong Kong right and they were so culturally different that people made fun of them so much that I was embarrassed I was like I'm not like them right you know I, I, I'm not and it's not like I necessarily wanted to be white because I had other friends of color but I didn't want to be Chinese which is so sad it is you know my dad had me in Chinese lessons and I completely just didn't do any work for it because I just now where you are yeah, now I study Chinese, exactly. so I don't think I realised what I was doing either, like you. It's kind of all subliminal. It was becoming friends with you, probably, that made me really embrace it, and you put me in those Facebook groups, so my my social media immediately became more Asian. Mm. So then I was surrounded, my mindset changed, and I was like, that is like me, and I could relate with a lot of the posts, right. except I don't So that's what made me get more like that, and now I'm so proud of being Asian, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Now... Um, my little brother, Eric, he's seven years younger than I am. So he's 14 and he's just about to go into grade nine. And he's really hitting that transition period where he wants to now go to a majority Asian school after going to an all, because um, he went into a French immersion school. And so most of the people in his class are white. And one day he just started talking in Korean to all his friends. And I'm like, Wait, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, like I made these online friends and they're all Korean and I just can get along with them better because they understand 
the things that I talk about my parents with and the problems that I have and the things I worry about. And I was like, wow, like, you know, he came to that understanding a lot quicker than I did. And I think it's because he had that exposure to living in a big city where he can see himself in other people too. Whereas I could only see myself with this other Filipino guy who was also super whitewashed. And so the only other people around us were white. In terms of um, other people of color, was it predominantly East Asians around you? There were, I feel like there were only maybe two or three black people in my high school. Um, There were maybe only one or two Latino people. It was majority um, Chinese, Korean, and Indian or Pakistani. Yeah, because we... I mean, East Asians as a minority in the UK is quite small mm. in terms of other minorities. So there was one other Western-born Chinese kid. I don't think I was actively running away from my culture. It was just kind of something on the side. It is because the other kids would just make jokes, you know, oh, you're Chinese, you eat dog, ha ha ha. Yeah, and that's such a commonplace thing and people just normalize it, but it's not okay. A, di- a difference that I noticed between your family and my family was that your dad also cooked, and he's a good cook, right? Yeah, but then my parents were like they come from very traditional families um, that were kind of patriarchal because that's like the South Korean culture. And so my dad doesn't cook; he doesn't know how to cook very well. Um, and so my mom does all the cooking. My grandma does all the cooking for um, when it's like a big family. And so mm-hmm. I just really hated that growing up. Patriarchy for me is one of those core things that I will never accept in my own identity and my own formation of my culture my hybrid culture you're with someone now does he cook for you (laughs) he does um so my boyfriend is also malaysian chinese just like Jeanette's dad uh, which is something that we also bonded over Um, yeah and he didn't cook a lot when we started dating but um now since like he and I are closer together since I'm back from abroad. Um, he'll take turns who's cooking and he's actually gotten really good at it. And he'll make things that I never thought to make and would yeah, that's good. to. So it's been good. Yeah, so no patriarchy in your future. Oh, no. He knows. <laughs> he knows. These are all things that we talk about on a day-to-day basis. And I'm so glad because I'm a very outspoken person about these topics. Although it's really important to surround yourself with peers and a partner who believes in the same things that you do. Going back to your year abroad, Mm -hmm. of course, growing up in Canada, were there like differences in racism that you might have faced in Canada versus Europe in general? So... I feel like, I don't know if you agree with this, but the University of Edinburgh, I felt like, had actually quite a lot of Asians. And they were mostly, mostly like, mainlanders. So they came straight from China or Hong Kong to Edinburgh. They weren't really westernized. So they That's were- something that meeting you for me was such a big thing, because westernized Asians wasn't a part of my reality. Right. So in Canada, you know, the huge thing is that, oh, Canadians are so nice and we're really good about, like, being multicultural and, like, accepting identities. False. Bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Calling it out right now. I love Canada, but it is not as glorious as we make ourselves sound to be. We might be relatively better than our neighbors down to the south, especially right now with the racist-ass orange president. But yes, <laughs> um, we are very good as a society in Canada of hiding our history. 
And so things like Africville in um, Nova Scotia, and the fact that the first slaves weren't actually brought to America, but to Canada first. These are all things that are never talked about and never learned. Um, so I that's very similar to the UK then, because we never talk about our colonialist past. Mm, I see. And I think that's because we are also a Commonwealth country, right? So uh-huh. much of what we learn about is actually European history. It's white history is what we learn about. That is so interesting because you'll be like that because of the UK then. Because you're a Commonwealth country, you know, there's that direct connection between not only like our education, but the history. You know, a lot of the resources right now directly relate to the US, right. but other countries aren't innocent because I don't really know anything about racism in Canada, to be honest. Exactly. So. No one does. I didn't until my second year of university when I took a sociology course on Canadian society. I learned about indig- Indigenous residential schools, which you do touch a little bit about in junior high school, but it's nothing as opposed to like what actually happened. Like children were ripped away from their homes. They were made to be ashamed of their culture and they were sexually, mentally, and physically abused. Um, and it's only been in the what past five years that they've received a little bit of reparations and an apology from the prime minister. Like the fact that this has all been erased from society is just like insane. Yeah. It's a huge, huge problem, which is why I've been going to the protests here for Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are signs saying the UK is not innocent. Yeah. And everyone says, you know, we're not as racist as the US. In fact, racism isn't a problem here, some people, not people that I associate myself with, but online. We are kind of the root cause of it all. Yeah. Because with colonialism, that's how attitudes to white supremacy started. That's why in... Asia there's such a huge issue with colorism and eyelids and wanting to look European Mm -hmm. it's it did actually start here right and the issues are actually spreading into Canada in your education system as well yeah so as an Asian and you you've kind of said um there weren't many black people at your school so I don't know if you have a lot of black people in your life how what is your relationship like with the current movements Ooh, that's such a loaded question. I really want to push Asian allyship in this because it's very, obviously, my face. It's very important to me. Yeah. No, I for sure agree. I think it's so important. Um, And one of the biggest things that I've learned is that I have my own implicit biases. And so I might be an ethnic minority and I might have grown up feeling sometimes like an outcast. You know, I might be treated different from the color of my skin, but I still have biases towards black people sometimes because of, you know, the way that my parents might have talked about them or my grandparents. Um, And it's not their fault. They don't really understand. I feel like what they're saying is harmful. But now that I reflect on these things and I sit in the uncomfortableness of it all. I'm just like, wow, like there are so many things that I've internalized that I never even thought of. Like in Korean, there's a word for black people that is quite derogatory and Koreans just throw it around. And I saw no issue with that until I really thought about it. And I was like, you know, that's like using the N word in the United States. Like just because black people might not understand Korean or some of them, you know, I know some Koreans who actually are happy. So they're Blasian. Um, and they know, and that's harmful for them. And so 
even if other people don't understand, just don't use that word. Use a different word. Uh, there is a lot of racism from East Asian communities. I'm kind of lucky because my parents, my mum grew up in the Caribbean, so mm-hmm. I don't really have that. Mm-hmm. And their very good friends are black and they have black people in their lives. I'm not saying that that makes them not racist, right. but, yeah. you know, with their education. But I do know a lot of people who, like you, you know, their families are racist. Right. And you've said it's kind of filtered down to you. It's harmful because it's the cycle continues. You know, I just recently sat down with my mom because she was talking about how in California, a black man had robbed a Korean um, convenience store. And it was all over the news because I think the man was injured or something. And my mom was like, black people can be dangerous sometimes. And I was just like, okay, here we go. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. this. We're going to talk about why you think the things that you do. We have to talk about, like, I was just really irked because my mom has a quite a big Instagram platform and she posted the Black Lives Matter, like the Blackout Tuesday post. And I was like, great. Like, you know what? This is a good step. But then she made this comment and I was like, no, 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 no. You can't use your platform to make yourself seem like you're supporting the cause but saying these things in the background and so we had that conversation and it was really difficult for me because this is uh, my mom and these are all things that I am like internally trying to tackle and so to hear that from my own parent was really difficult but I realized it's not her fault because she didn't grow up in a country that really talked about these things but that still doesn't make it right just because she wasn't doing it on purpose and so We had that conversation and I'm so glad that we did because I feel like now she has a bit of a better understanding of we are here where we are today because of black people, because they paved the way for us, because they had to endure all of that prejudice and racism when they first were taken and captured from Africa and brought overseas. That's the reason why Asians can be here today and why Mm -hmm. we own businesses and go out and we still deal with implicit um, racism, but it's not anywhere near like what black people face absolutely you know their movements paved the way for east asians because things have significantly improved for us because of those movements chinese massacre 1871 the largest mass lynching in history white supremacy was much bigger in the past so as minorities we suffered a lot more before the civil rights movements with things improving we see the benefit, we reap the benefits the most. We are indebted to the black people. You know, there was also the Chinese Exclusion Act in 80, in the 1880s, which is the only piece of legislation against an ethnic minority group ever in the US. So I'm not taking away from our racist struggles, but we have to hold ourselves accountable and look in the mirror and think, why are things better for us today, looking at how bad they were in the past? And it is because of black people and because of black civil rights. Something that I thought, obviously, I know you're Korean, but to the average average Joe racist, you know, you have, they'd be like, oh, you know, Chinese. Mm-hmm. And they'd say um, coronavirus, like you, it's your fault is coronavirus, whatever. And there was, a, there were quite a few violent attacks on East Asians because of mm-hmm. coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that, it's black people still getting murdered by the police when there was, you know, a bad sentence, but in the eyes of a racist, more reason to be mad at East Asians. Black people are still getting the shit and getting murdered by the authorities. Shows that they are at the bottom of the of the pile and it shouldn't be that way. There are all these historical systems in place in order to further oppress 
black and black and indigenous people and they continue to perpetuate these systems and cycles where it's gone from slavery to being enslaved by the prison system mm-hmm. true because if you're a black person you're I don't know a statistic, but you're obviously more likely to get convicted of a crime. I think I read somewhere that it's one in four black men, not even in just the United States, but in Canada too, get stopped and searched. One in four. There are four people in my family. That's one of us. If we were black, we'd be searched and frisked. For nothing. Exactly. You could be innocent. Elijah McClain. He was just mm-hmm. walking down the street. He wore a ski mask because he got cold easily. He got freaking shot with um, a tranquilizer. That was enough for a man double his size and he died of cardiac arrest. When is that ever okay? How likely is that to happen to any other race? Because as East Asians, you know, if we're going in a hierarchy of minorities, which is kind of messed up, but to be honest, the white man put it in place, the lighter skinned you are, the better you're going to get treated. And they did put in place the model minority thing. I think it's in the 70s I've read to further divide ethnic minorities so that the whites could remain on top. And that is probably reason, some of the reasons that East Asian, older East Asians have such negative attitudes towards black people because that's what white people put in place to divide us. I'm so glad you said that. That is so true. And the more I think about it, the crazier it is because it's like, wow, I can't believe that white people thought that far into how to divide other people so that they could continue to hold on to their power, that they turned ethnic minorities against each other. Because I've read that um, East Asians were huge in the civil rights movements in the 60s. Right. And then in the 70s, they introduced the idea of a model minority. So they kind of perpetuated the idea that the ideal minority would act like the East Asian and then kind of put forward all their good traits. And then I think in the 70s, that's when more East Asian immigrants came. Right. So there was a bigger influx of, influx of East Asian immigrants. And that's the first bit of propaganda that they're hit with, that you are the model minority, which obviously then they don't know about the things that have happened before with the civil rights movement, how they were united. Right. They're just hit with all this propaganda, turning them against black people. And that's why some of them are like that today. Um, talking about Asian allyship, circling back with what you just said, with being model minorities as Asians, we are actually in a really great place of privilege because we are so close to white people on this quote-unquote hierarchy of races that we can use our platform and our quote-unquote status in order to help push the agenda of Black Lives Matter. Because yes, all lives matter. But if I hear one more person say that, I'm going to slap them in the face. Because until Black Lives Matter, all lives can't matter. And in terms of Asians, you know, you can say you're not racist, but you always have to check yourself. Exactly, yes. I think it comes back to the term of anti-racism. You know, people our age, I was hanging around a group of some people from Singapore, and I remember sitting down with one of them because he really appropriated black culture. You know, he listened to, you know, R&B, hip hop. Mm-hmm. He didn't really speak in London slang, but, you know, he kind of did sometimes. Right. And, you know, he's into the certain, a certain look. And when he's singing these songs, he's saying the N-word. Oh. And I said to him, you know, it's not really okay to say that word, mm-hmm. even in a song. And he said, you know, I never say it unless I'm singing. And I just, I just said to him, you know, but you can't. It's not okay. It's not an okay word. Right. That word has a history unique to any other word. And he just didn't get it. Yeah. Very big issue in that relationship. I was on the phone to him once and his friend came in the room 
and he said to me sup n-word yeah honestly um and I just I froze I completely froze because I'm not around you like my black friends don't even say that word casually right you know, and he just walked in the room, this half Singaporean, half Turkish boy, I don't know what where he was from, but he was mixed, saying this word. Mm-hmm. And I froze. And you know what? The guy I was speaking on the phone to just laughed. He went, oh, dude, you can't say that. She's given me so many lectures about that word, you know, laughing it off. And I was so disheartened by that because I just thought, you know, I really, really explained the history of that word to you. Right. And you're just you can't blame it on your ignorance anymore. I've spoken to you about it. And, you know, you're just laughing it off. You're not calling him out, right. which he should be doing. I took that very personally because, like I said, when I met you, you were kind of my first westernized East Asian friend. Right. Singapore and Malaysia are very close together, culturally quite similar. And I'd never had friends from that background before. And the fact that this was their attitude, and I know my cousins also have similar attitudes it broke my heart because I was just thinking this is where I come from Mm -hmm. and there are so many issues and you know everyone can point the finger at the white man because that's what this guy did he said you know I'm not white right even though he's hot you know I'm not white I'm not I'm not the problem is basically what he was saying but that's such a toxic attitude to have and that's what continues the cycle of racism so don't say the n-word at this point like you shouldn't even have to think about it you don't have the right to say it even if you have black friends you can't say that word it is just such a historically loaded word that has been reclaimed by black people for black people and we have no right to use that word it's not enough to be not racist and not anymore but ever it's not enough to be not racist you have to be unapologetically anti-racist. Yes. And you know what? At that time, this was in November time, I felt guilty for calling them out for it for some reason. I felt, you know, I seemed, oh, you know, like with feminazis and stuff. I don't know if that, I probably shouldn't use that term, but you know, I felt like I was being like the ra- racism equivalent of that. But now obviously looking back and with the current movements, it's obviously made me feel okay about it and feel like proud of myself for doing it but at the time I remember thinking is that am I taking it too far you know if he wants to sing a song but no no yeah that's never okay and that's how easy it is to be sucked into it if you have friends who maybe not explicitly racist but don't have as much passion behind the cause become nonchalant about it and less active about making change which is dangerous speak up for what you believe in especially in Asian mindsets you know you don't want to make a big fuss but it's so important now more than ever to do it I was personally scared because in Korean culture there's kind of a hierarchy in terms of age and so as a young person you don't want to sit your grandparents down and give them a lecture that is unheard of like how dare you do that to an elder? But at the same time, if we want to move away from all of this, these are just things that you have to make your family members and friends understand. You have to go through that step-by-step process of explaining, like, I'm not doing this to be disrespectful. These are all things that are true and important to me. And they should be important to you because of A, B, and C. That's the first step that people need to take, is you have to reflect on your first your own implicit biases and the biases of those people who are closest to you and have those hard conversations with them. And then from there, protesting, signing petitions, you know, going to protests are steps that you can take, but you have to take after you already deal with yourself and your own circle. Yes, that's so important because anyone can go to the protest. Mm -hmm. If you haven't dealt with your internal biases and things that you might not know about, you need to look into yourself. At the London protests, there was, I remember seeing someone saying, you know, if you're not, if you don't genuinely care about the cause, if you're just here 
because it's a lockdown and there's nothing else to do, go home because you take away the legitimacy of the cause. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not undermining the East Asian experience. You know, we do face racism, but we aren't really victims of the systemic racism as much. Right. But have you ever faced anything explicitly racist? We, I went on a camping trip with my friends and we ran into one of their cousins and we were all just sitting by the campfire together and he forgot my name. And so he called me Jackie Chan. On one of my yearbooks, they called me Squinty Eyes. <gasps> Are you kidding? I'm not. And these are just things that were okay to them. And at that time, I'm the only Asian, so what am I going to do? You can't call me that. I can't do that. Or at that time, I thought I couldn't do that. I didn't have the power Mm -hmm. to do that. But now I know I should have stood my ground. These people, a lot of them didn't, they still hold these internalized racist biases. And it pops up on my Facebook. And for a long time, I was really silent on my social media because I didn't want to be, you know, that really vocal person who just reposts things. You know, you might not have a circle of friends who are racist, but those people might have friends of friends of friends. And the more you share it, the closer it gets to, you know, people who have these biases and this racism internalized. And I found that I happen to be one of those Asian people who have networks to racist white people in my hometown so the more I started sharing the more conversations began about you know I don't know why people say all cops are bad basic layer thought process I realized was where I could step in and be like oh right but have you ever thought about the fact that the police as an institution is what the problem is they are there not to defend people necessarily but to defend the law which is bias and racist. I've also had people I was posting a lot about the the current climate and racism and things. Completely ignore certain things I was saying. Mm-hmm. But I also had people reach out to me and say, you know, thank you for posting what you're posting. I've learned so much from it. Yeah. And it I don't I wouldn't really think of myself as someone with a platform, but everyone has a platform. Exactly. Thank you for coming on today. We've covered a lot of important topics. Just to finish, I thought it'd be good to ask what advice would you give other Asians who might be facing racist family members, other Asian racist friends, and how to deal with talking to them, particularly the elders with the whole respect thing. I can understand why, you know, you might be scared to have these really uncomfortable conversations with your family members. And I know that it might be scary, especially, you know, within Asian culture to talk to your elders about these things in a way that they might see as disrespectful. But I think it's important when you first start that conversation to say, you know, we've obviously grown up in different generations and this isn't a disrespect thing. This is just a conversation that I want to have with you because we're going through a time right now where this is not acceptable and it never has been, but now, you know, doors are opened where we can actually have these conversations and create substantial change. You explain it in a way that you're coming from a place of respect and you just want to talk about these things with them. I don't see why they would be opposed to it, but if they are, you know, just give it some time. People don't like being uncomfortable. You know, that's one of the main things. And that itself is a privilege. And, you know, people 
who have that privilege have always had that privilege. And so it can be hard to let go. But, you know, if you just give them time, they'll come around. And if they don't, you just have to go back to the drawing board and think about how could I better explain this to them? Mm -hmm. Um, I know that online, there are some individuals who are, uh, have an organization where they have written letters in diff- like I think 120 different languages that you can send to your friends and family members about um, what's currently going on and why it's important that Asians are allies in this movement. Um, so maybe I'll share that link with Jenna and she could share it. Yeah, I will definitely do that. This is her. Yeah, it's so important to me because I feel like you know, Asian racism reflects badly on me and Asians face racism as well. And we should want to help mm-hmm. those who face it worse. No one likes being yelled at on the street in a language that they don't even speak because someone assumes that you're not from here because of your face. Exactly. But imagine being killed because of your face, you know, that's not mm-hmm. really a big reality for us. Obviously not always, but in general. Right. Yeah, yeah. thank you everyone for listening. Thanks for having me on, Jeanette.